0: If you notice, the the look-feel of the seven-week journey has a a bit of a a feel of nostalgia. And uh, so everything that we have going on graphically, aesthetically, uh, my outfit, which, let's face it, is always retro. But anyway, uh, we have a bit of a retro feel to the seven-week journey, and that is definitely on purpose. And uh, the reason behind it is because, for me personally, uh, summer had a very sacred place in my life uh, during the 80s and into the 90s. And so it was at that time period that, that summer was sort of this extended Sabbath. And uh, it was a time where I could just sort of rest and relax. You get up at 11, you watch The prices is Right... While you're eating Fruity Pebbles, and then you sort of make your way outside, and then you just stay out there until the streetlights come on, and then you head back home for spaghetti. And so life is pretty, pretty good. No schedules, uh, no, no, no agenda. It, just, it was just fun, fun, fun till Daddy took the T-Bird away, to quote a song. Uh, but it was—it was really—it was, really was about—it was about taking time after uh, uh, nine, eight, nine, ten months of school and getting up early and, and worrying and stressing and, and all that stuff to just kind of breathe, relax, rest. It was about friends. It was about adventure. It was about memories. It was about fun. Uh, I remember my friends. We we would play. Uh, I had a badminton net in the backyard. And uh, the neighborhood kids would get around the badminton net, and we had a tournament that my friend coined Stapledon. My last name's Stapleton, and he's like, let's call it Stapledon, and uh, I was like, that's brilliant. So uh, I trademarked that. That's mine. Um, but we would have a badminton tournament. We'd go play basketball. We'd go tramping through the wood Tromps, Tramping? Is that tromping? Tramping something very, very different. We got on uh, caboose uh, train cars, and we would, just <laughs> we would just ride the rails, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the summer. Uh, that's my excuse for everything. We would go tromping. Thank you, Sonia. Very, very, very nice of you to help me with that. Uh, we'd go tromping through the woods. Uh, I, I, I just remember just taking our time and just having fun. And, and really, if you think about the 80s and the 90s, uh, I, I, I saw this as a meme, and I know what a meme is now, thanks to my daughter, but a meme. And uh, it was a picture, and I've got the picture. I'll throw it up. This is uh, in how you used to find out where your friends were before GPS and cell phones and all that stuff. This is how you knew where all your friends were, whose yard all the bikes were in. And so uh, that was just, that was life, man. You just get on your bikes and just go have an adventure. And it was so great. And so I, I, this summer, what, what I have in my heart... ...is to sort of recapture that and for all of us. Now, if you want to go ride bikes, I'm totally down for that. If you, if you want to go tramping through the woods, that's great. And uh, Or tromping, either one. Uh, but if you, if you want to... Uh, those things are great, but really what it's about is, is encouraging us to, to slow down, to breathe a little bit, uh, to let that Sabbath thing start to settle in to our hearts and our minds... And to uh, allow this to be a time of re-energizing rest, and uh, and that is something that we all need. And so uh, I would say that we could all use a healthy dose of nostalgia. And uh, some people might think that's silly, and they're like, "That's just that's your personality, Chris. You you reminisce. You like nostalgia, which is true." But uh, I, I would I, I, I'm gonna. This might feel like a stretch, but I'll back it up with Scripture. Nostalgia can be a spiritual gift, and uh, it can be a very healthy thing. Now, I'm not saying to live in the past by any means, but uh, later in our, our meeting today, uh, we are going to be receiving the Lord's Supper together, and, uh, which is a—we'll do that every week this summer, and, and it, it's a very important moment in the life of a believer— and uh, if you think about when Jesus instituted uh, with his with his guys, uh, these are his last moments before he's arrested in in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's he is in the upper room. He is, uh, so much happens in this in this time with his disciples. And one of the things that happens is he institutes the Lord's Supper. And so they're having this 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 meal together. And he says, "I want you to continue doing this now." Technically, this is Passover. It's, it's, uh, it's a moment where there, this culture would have gotten together anyway for a meal, but he, he encourages them to keep doing this. He says, whenever you're together, keep doing this. And so he institutes a thing that we call communion or, or the Lord's Supper or, or whatever. And, and it is a time that we're meant to do this, as he says, in remembrance of him. Uh, if you look at the, the original word usage here, And uh, an accurate translation would be sort of this idea of reenact this moment. So it is Jesus encouraging these guys after he is gone physically to continue to do this, to break bread together, to have a meal together, which is why I love doing communion at a table facing each other which is, uh, I think, more accurate to the original experience. And he says, I want you to reenact this, recapture this. And it's almost like he he is ordaining nostalgia. Go back and remember this beautiful moment. Now, we didn't have, we weren't there. But it's almost like he's encouraging all people to go back and remember, return to your first love. Remember the price that Jesus paid, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. Remember, reenact it, relive this. So it's the spiritual significance of nostalgia, looking back. Now, uh, we're going to be spending a lot of time in just a couple of verses this summer. And uh, I love these verses. These are, uh, these are some of my all-time favorites, and they're so good, so beautiful. And you find this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And uh, I'm going to read a couple different translations of this, these verses today. And uh, starting, this is, we normally do ESV, and uh, if you're wondering, or NASB, one or the other. And so uh, we, we're going to read this and, uh, and just talk about it today as we sort of uh, kick off. This series that we're calling Rhythms of Grace. So this is what it says. Jesus is making this invitation. He says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest for your souls. if, you, if you're reading in, in the Bible, or, or even kind of the way we threw up on the screen, you'll notice that the phrase, rest for your souls, is in all capital letters. And it is because Jesus is quoting Scripture. He's quoting uh, the words of the prophet Jeremiah in this conversation. In fact, it comes from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. And so Jesus is evoking... Uh, an old verse that, that, that this group of people would probably be familiar with and, uh, and, and and understand the reference. And so if you go back to that statement, this is what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says at, at, around that verse, uh, to stand at the crossroads and look for and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and then walk in it, and then you will find rest for Your souls. Um, This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to uh, the the people of Judah who, uh, at this point in time in history, have grown very distant from God. And uh, whereas in in the past, there was such a, a beautiful, dynamic, historic relationship, God doing beautiful things through the tribe of Judah. And uh, and at this point, they have sort of grown cold and grown distant from their relationship, their connection with God. And so uh, this is God basically calling them out through the prophet Jeremiah and saying, Guys, you're at a crossroads. You're at a fork in the road. I need you to do something for me. I need you to consider going back to the ancient paths. And what he's referring to in the ancient paths is, I want you to remember... How you, your generation, your previous generations, you used to be so close to me and used to walk with me, independence of me. You, you You were not autonomous people just trying to work this out in your own strength. You were devoted to a relationship with your God. And I'm encouraging you to return to the ancient paths. Now, Look at what's happening. Now, the, the commonality is uh, both are referencing the promise of rest for your souls. So Jesus is inviting people to come to him and find rest for their souls. These, these words from God through the prophet Jeremiah is an encouragement. Return to the ancient paths, and that's where you're going to find rest for your souls. Now, both are referencing... Jesus is quoting old scripture... And he's referring this community back to an ancient civilization, an ancient scripture, which that scripture itself was referring back even further to an ancient point in the history of the tribe of Judah. And so this is sort of an inception thing. This is, Jesus is taking us so far back, but he's pointing us backwards to a place of simplicity and devotion to God before life got complicated. And he's saying, that's where you find rest for your souls. So Jesus is, he's using nostalgia as this tool to sort of retune our hearts to what actually matters. The common theme is obviously rest. Rest in in peace. Uh, Being unencumbered. Having the weights of the world taken off our shoulders now we all all of us have had some experience with rest and if we think about a carefree sort of life and, and we remember what that feels like there we've all had some sort of brush up with that we, we've all experienced that to some degree even if it was fleeting we've all experienced a life a time in our life where life didn't feel so heavy and for a lot of us we depending on your childhood and I know we've all had different experiences growing up, but, but I know for me, looking back, I, I, I reminisce and I'm nostalgic because it's a time in my life when there was like there was no responsibility and that was awesome. I was carefree. You know the beauty of it was I didn't worry about paying the bills. I didn't worry about uh, meeting deadlines. I didn't really even worry about impressing anybody or or, or gaining approval. I just sort of was me. And and then everything, all the cares and the worries of the world were sort of, um, they were kind of subbed out to other people, my parents. Other people had that responsibility. And maybe my parents were stressed out about putting food on the table, but I had no idea. I was just blissfully, they'd say, ignorance is bliss. I don't disagree with that. (laughs) People are like, hey, can I tell you about this problem? I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to know about it. I'm, I'm smiling right now. I don't want to stop. And so uh, I, it's just being, being cared for is really a beautiful thing. And that's sort of exactly what Jesus is inviting us to. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul uses a, um, a comparison. And you find this in 1 Corinthians 9. It's not the only time you see it, but... But specifically, the Apostle Paul says that we're meant to run this race, uh, run, live our lives as if it's a race. And we run this race in such a way that we win. So he calls this life that we live a race. It's, it's a marathon, really. And, and that is difficult enough. And then somewhere along the way, as we get older and we grow in our responsibility and just life changes, we're running that race as well as we possibly can. And it just feels like life keeps heaping burdens and weights upon our shoulders. And now we're supposed to run the, the race with a, you know, a bag of rocks on our back. And it becomes difficult. Increasingly more difficult as life goes on. And so we're supposed to just live this life of rest and ease and carefree rest in the, the finished work of Jesus. But the reality is, man, this life gets very difficult and complicated. So Jesus is directing this invitation to anyone that feels that way. So Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, is this beautiful engraved invitation where Jesus says, hey, are, are you are you weary are you burdened? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary and heavy laden? Then I'm inviting you to come and find rest in me. It's a very specific target audience. So if you if you think about it, it he's not even trying to appeal to people that feel like they're they're fine. <laughs> that those people are not interested in this invitation anyway. Like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm on cruise control. This is easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. This is no big deal. Big bubbles, no troubles. Um, then the invitation really doesn't appeal to that person. If, if we're managing this perfectly, if we're great in our own strength, if we got the world figured out, if we're competent and we're we're together and, and we got the whole world uh, by a string, sitting on a rainbow. I'm quoting a lot of songs today. I apologize. It's the boombox. Um, so uh, I, I it, it's it's not really appealing to those people, but for the people that feel like they're underneath the bus of life, are you tired? Yep. Jesus doesn't get the word tired out. Yeah, that's me. Are you weary and heavy like, hmm? Okay. You get mailers in your mailbox all the time. We get we got junk mail. And so uh, there's most of it, 99% of it we throw away. But then there's like an invitation to a new restaurant. I'm like, oh, okay. You perked my interest there. This is an invitation that we would definitely, most of us, be very, very interested in. And Jesus is saying, if that's you, if you're tired, if you're burned out, if you're weary, heavy laden, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to come to me, and that's where you're going to find rest. And, and what he does, and this is the picture he paints, he offers an exchange. Uh, it's a trade. And so he offers in exchange. He says, uh, I'm going to give you rest And you give me the impossible weight and burden that you carry. So he's saying, I'll take your yoke and you take my yoke. Now, this is something infinitely better than a day off. This is something infinitely better than a vacation. This is something that is deeper and more profound and and far more spiritual. And, And I love the phrasing, rest for your souls. That is that's something way different than rest for your body, rest for your mind, rest from uh, circumstances. It is something that is far more spiritual, far, far more interior, rest for your souls. And what that means is, what he's painting a picture of is this continual Sabbath that is permanent. You know, there was a, uh, obviously the Sabbath was something that was instituted very, very spiritual. Very, I mean, this one of the most regimented demands of the law was the Sabbath. In fact, that's, uh, that's a point of contention for the religious community and Jesus throughout his ministry, is that he kept doing something that was completely unheard of, he- healing people and helping people on the Sabbath. The unmitigated gall of this man. But... What Jesus was communicating and what he communicates with his life and continues to communicate to us today is that the Sabbath is not a day. It's the Sabbath is not a what. The Sabbath is a who. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. And what he's offering and he's inviting us to is a continual Sabbath where we live from a place of rest. We're not working for rest. We're working from it. Living from a place of Perfect peace, perfect rest, where regardless of what circumstance or what's happening on the outside, on the interior, on the inside, in our souls, we are at rest. The Bible says, uh, I believe 1 John, it says we will prosper as our souls prosper. We'll prosper on the outside as we prosper on the inside. We start from a place of perfect peace, perfect rest, and then that affects everything. Now, what we typically think of when we feel um, tired weary, burdened, heavy laden. We think, I need a break. I need a day off. I need a vacation, which is none of those are bad things at all. In fact, I recommend them highly. They are wonderful. But just because you take a break and a breather doesn't mean that you walk out of that breather with rest. He offers something that is infinitely better than a vacation or a day off. He he offers uh, a a new way of living, a new way of being human, a rest that is in our souls. And then regardless of what we're doing, even if we're working, we are still working in a place of rest. This is the the message translation of the same verses that we just read. And this is sort of primarily what we'll be looking at. Uh, I love the terminology here. Uh, Eugene Eugene Peterson wrote the message interpretation of the Bible, and it's sort of a paraphrasing, but he did his dead-level best to be as accurate to the original language with modern language as he possibly could, and so it captures emotion that you don't find in other translations, and I love it. So the, the message translation says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real... Rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's beautiful. To live freely and lightly is to learn to live in these unforced rhythms of grace. Everything in life. Has a rhythm. Everything. Uh, There's a a, a really Ecclesiastes is a difficult book of the Bible to get through. It. I've actually really enjoyed preaching through it, but it it can be pretty depressing historically. But there's that one. I think it's Ecclesiastes three. It's the the birds did a song to everything. There's a season. Turn, turn, turn. There's there's a there's a rhythm. Time to sow. Time to reap. Time to laugh. Time to cry. There's there's a rhythm in life. And so uh, the sunrise and the sunset. And we just, we just went to the beach a couple of weeks ago. The, the, just the wave is coming in, the tide's coming in and going out. Uh, there's a rhythm in just breathing. Um, there's a rhythm. Our heartbeat is a rhythm. Everything in life has a rhythm. And if you've ever noticed, and I know you have, you, babies, you don't have to teach them to, to feel music and respond to it. You see babies just bounce to the music? They, they, even before they can walk, they can just kind of pull themselves up on 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 a table or something like that. And they're you see their little diaper booty bouncing? They they just they feel it. You don't have to teach it. It's 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 just sort of in our design. Like God put that in our in our bones, in our DNA. There's just there's, there's, it's like there's there's music in there. There's a rhythm to everything and and, and unfortunately there there is a rhythm to this world and this culture in our modern times it it has a rhythm And, and by it I'm just talking about the way the world is the way society is our culture our world the way things are made up by mankind it it has a rhythm and what tends to happen is because we live in this world, we're in this world, we're around this world, we work in this world, we play in this world, we, we grow families in this world, we end up sinking to the rhythms of, it's like this giant metronome, and we all kind of get synced up to it. I've talked to so many people who have moved here from other places, and it's interesting to find out that that consciously you have to sort of re reset your rhythm of life to the pace of where you live so for example if you moved here from new york city you you feel like you're riding your brakes all the time here cuz here in the south we don't exactly a new york minute give me an hour and i'll take care of it it's slow it's methodical and then you go to another country, and then you're like, what is this? It's just a different, and personalities have a different pace to life. and, and so, But th- there's just sort of this rhythm that you're, you catch and that you sort of sync with. And whole, as a whole, the rhythm of our culture and our modern society is unsustainable. The pace... And the stress and the movement, the frenetic pace of this world is unsustainable. No wonder we feel like we can't really find rest. It's just too much. The deadlines, the pressure, even, even if you have a victory at work, if you have a success, it's, you, there's no celebration. It's, yeah, but what's next? Do it better next time. There, there's, there's really no stopping to smell the, the roses. There's no time. You're flying by it on the freeway. It's almost like the, 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 the RPM needle is in the red like all the time. And we're, we're flying at an altitude. We're, we're moving at a frenetic pace that we're just not designed to move at. Our smartphones, I, I don't know that a human being was designed by God, to receive earth-shaking bad news like every 30 seconds. I, I just don't think we're built for that. To carry, you know, we we're kind of made to be in community with each other and live this localized, listen, if, if we want to eat, we've got to work together. If we, if we want to have uh, enough food for the winter, we got to work together. It's collaborative. It's, it's, it's immediate. It's us. It's us. It's community. I don't know that we're designed to be stressed out about what's happening on the other side of the world right right this second. And, and even on the good side, I don't know that we're supposed to live for the likes of every picture that we post of our food every three seconds and feel bad about ourselves if not enough people shared the picture of the Pop-Tart. I, I just think that what we try to do is we try to live and keep up in the pace of this world is it starts wearing us down. And we wonder why. I, I've had this question, like, why am, I, why am I feeling this way? Why can't I keep up when everybody else can? Why am I so low when everybody's fine with what they're doing? Why am I the exception? Why am I the bonehead? Why am I the last kid in the, in the race? And you realize you get to know some people and you realize they're not keeping up either. They're just, they're keeping up with appearances. But on the inside, they feel worn down. There there are so many people that are right there ready to throw in the towel on whatever they're doing. I talked to two friends in the last couple weeks who are both uh, been pastoring churches longer than I have here in this wonderful city. Who both of them were like, I'm done. Both of them, who have encouraged me along the way, and those both those guys are like, "I'm out," and it breaks my heart. And I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, "It's it just it's too much." So it's not even just them; it's it's them trying to pastor everyone who's all, everyone's going at a pace and set to a metronome that's unsustainable, and it just you start feeling it crumble. I believe that Jesus's invitation rest for your souls, isn't just experiential, it's medicinal. It's not just, hey, I want you to enjoy life more, which he does, but it's like, you need this. You need this, and I believe we need this now more than even when he said it to the people 2,000 years ago. We... We have a hard time resting. We have a hard time experiencing peace. And I'm the chief sinner as it relates to that, that issue. I am awful at it. And, and I'm, I, I want to make sure that there's no, there's no question or thought the way that we are here at, at Family Church. I'm not preaching from a, an arrived destination like come join me in paradise I'm, I am in the trenches, and I am I'm preaching to myself right now because I desperately need this revelation. And if I feel emphatic and passionate, it's because I'm like, Chris, get it. So I took a vacation. Two Sundays ago, my family all loaded up in their cars. They pulled out from this parking lot right after church, and we, we headed south to Florida. And we spent uh, a week Really, well, Sunday to Saturday, uh, there in, in Florida, in the Gulf part of Florida, uh, it was about a six and a half hour drive. We got there, we stayed in a little a little house that was kind of close to the beach. We were, you know, on the beach almost every day. And uh, Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, I'm I'm I feel like a, a, a coke bottle that has been all shook up. Internally, I'm going bonkers. I am stressed. I have tears come in my eyes. I'm frustrated because I'm on the beach and no part of me can relax. And it's really frustrating. And I finally, and, and I'm having these symptoms of like panic attack. And I think I just, you, you, there's a surge protector in your brain and I've felt it before, and it's, I'm, str- I'm, I'm up against it. And I'm in tears, and I, I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm not doing good. And we have this life-changing conversation, which my wife's an angel. And in this conversation, I realize I'm synced up with the wrong rhythm here. I'm, and I carry that, wherever you go, there you are. I took, I brought this rhythm that is unhealthy with me, and I'm sitting here on the beach, holding it, internalizing it. Our, as a culture, we don't rest well. Now, we can do nothing. I heard, a, I heard this, um, this quote the other day. The, uh, a guy, he's married, and he, his wife came in. She said, what are you doing today? He's like, I'm doing nothing. She's like, okay, well, that's great. Do nothing today. And then uh, the next day, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I- I'm not doing nothing. She's like, well, you, did, you didn't do nothing yesterday. He's like, well, I, wasn't, I didn't finish. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Um, our culture is pretty good at doing Nothing. But it doesn't mean we rest. Doing nothing does not mean we rest. Doing nothing does not mean we have it rest for our souls. We can sit there and binge watch every episode of a show for like nine hours straight to the point where Netflix is shaming us. You st- are you still here? Are you, are you still with us? I mean, leave me alone. Don't, don't judge me. But it doesn't mean that we're experiencing rest for our souls. It's something that's far more spiritual that we can't get from Netflix, that we can't get from the beach. We can't get from circumstances. We can't get from a day off. something only Jesus can give, and that's what he invites us to. Halfway through my vacation, I, I realized there is a better rhythm. And I know about it. It's my favorite scripture. I know this stuff. I'm preaching about it in two weeks. It's almost like God, like, pushed me out into traffic and said, Hey, why not you get run over by this so that you can really preach? I'm like, hey, thanks, God, you're so cool. But I, I, I thought of this verse, not, not, not even Matthew 11 as much as this one, Psalm 131. I think they, they pair nicely together. This is David, who had way more responsibility than I'll ever have, who had way more on his shoulders than I'll ever have. King David... He wrote this or had a commission to be written. Psalm 131, 1 and 2. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and I have quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This idea of calming and quieting our soul, it, the, the, the translation speaks to this idea of leveling, um, bringing everything to a healthy level. Instead of even if you're looking at uh, music peaking, you're, you're bringing it to a calm level, which he links with this, this conversation that he has, his heart being not being lifted up too high, or his eyes being raised up too high, not being preoccupied with things that are way outside of his realm of control, things far too marvelous for him. Those things are linked. Leveling our soul and realizing how small we are and how un-in-control we are compared to the God of the universe. Scale is important. Understanding... Who God is, that he is over and above everything, and I am not him. Being in rhythm with God and his grace starts with allowing God to take his proper place in our hearts and in our lives. It's allowing God to be God. In fact, here's the interesting thing. David is, of course, from the tribe of Judah. So, even the prophet Jeremiah, God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, is talking about the ancient paths, the tribe of Judah and their heyday. Maybe he's sort of referencing back to even this moment right here where the presence of God is in Jerusalem, David's on the throne, and he is sinking as a culture with the goodness, the bigness, the size of God. I find it interesting that in this verse that David himself refers back to being a child. He says, like, like, like a weaned child. So it goes back to a place of dependency. And I, I, the, even the, the phrasing, like a weaned child, so that means being held isn't a conditionality of being hungry. I'm not looking to you for something. I just I want to be with you. So, just being with God, being held by God, I want to I close with one last picture and we 're going to wrap up today and, and then this is going to be a great conversation, so beneficial for all of us, I believe, and, and, and I think god 's going to do miraculous things in and through our hearts through this time and so But one last picture we 're going to close. Um, there was a time back to the uh, upper room where the where communion was. Was instituted, there is a, a moment in time when, you know, of course, there's a conversation where Jesus is saying, One of you guys, are, you're going to betray me, and uh, this is going to get ugly. And, uh, and so you see two postures of two very different disciples, which are often used to kind of contrast each other throughout Scripture. But you see Peter and you see John. Now, uh, John is a guy whose name means grace. And, and he is referred to throughout the the, the, the the Bible as the disciple whom Jesus loves. And the the, the question is, how did he get that moniker? We're, he's only called that in the books that he wrote. So he calls himself that. Uh, at this point, where Jesus is talking about his betrayal and everything, G, Jesus is sitting, reclining at a table. They're eating. They're just sitting at a table together. And John as the Bible describes it, is laying next to Jesus with his head on his chest. And Peter is pacing the floor. Now, Peter is a guy who has lived his life trying his best to please God and be someone that God is proud of, while John has just bragged that he is the one God's proud of. He boasted in Jesus' love for him. He didn't boast in his love for Jesus. Well, those two postures are contrasted. And, and Peter, in fact, he says, Hey, hey, John, what's he talking about? He asks John because John's right there with Jesus. And obviously John knows something because he's relaxed. But think about it. What is, what is John hearing at that moment? He's got his head on Jesus' chest. He's hearing a rhythm. He's hearing the heartbeat of Jesus. Which every beat of that heart screams i love you he's not consumed with his own thoughts and worries like peter he is consumed he's almost being held like a child this is the rhythm of grace being caught up and wrapped up in the arms of jesus to where the world could be falling around around us crumbling But it is well with my soul because I am with him. Peace is not a conditionality. Rest is not a a circumstances being lined up. That That is a gift from Jesus because that's who Jesus is.